You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi. Alongside me, Taylor Dammel, we are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day is Trenton Hassel. Trenton Hassel, that's right. The first round pick, 30th overall. I believe the Bulls picked him 30th overall in the 2001 NBA draft. Trenton Hassel, man, I, I remember him from the league, but he had a terrific college career. He was the player of the year in the OBC for 2000-2001 uh, season. Three-time All-OBC team member. Uh, in 2001, he was named to the All-OVC tournament team, and he was uh, named the best freshman in the OVC when he was a freshman. Man, Trenton Hassel, that is a real... A uh, collection of accolades there from college. And the reason I bring up Trenton Hassel and the OVC and Austin P, I don't think I mentioned that he went to Austin P. He's from Clarksville. Like he's a hometown kid. Is that it's Jerome season, folks. And we're going to get into all of that. We're going to not necessarily picks just yet. We'll save that for next week, but we're going to break down and provide our opinions on which conference tournaments are going to be the most fun to watch. And I'm not just talking about the big hitters, the big guys, or even the big guys as it relates to mid-majors. There's some really good conference tournaments out there uh, regarding conferences and teams that, and players that you may have not heard of. So we're going to dive into that a little later. And in our effort to pay homage to these smaller schools like an Austin P, smaller conferences like the OBC, Trenton Hassel, is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dam. Let's open the curtains. Welcome back. I want to kick the show off with paying some more homage, not necessarily to a player or a team or a conference like I did in the intro, but a new fan. And mm-hmm. I think whenever I'm, I become privy to new fans and new listeners, it's worth me shouting them out because I don't really know how many we have, but <laughs> I know we have, I know we have one more and his name is George. He is one of my wife's coworkers. George, great dude. He's a Loyola Chicago fan. He's also a New Mexico Lobos fan. Isn't that something, Taylor? I know you get the 
side eye. I know you get the side eye with being like, oh, I'm a Packers and Heat fan. It's like, oh, okay. And an Avalanche fan and a Red Sox fan. So you get the side eye and you're from Alaska. George here uh, went to Loyola, Chicago, but I think he's from New Mexico or he has family in New Mexico. And so he's a Lobos fan as well. But all that to say, I know George has been listening to the last few episodes and we really appreciate your support, George. So if you made it to this episode, uh, I hope you're you're listening at your cube or your pod. Um, thank you. Thank you. Number of New Mexico slash Loyola Chicago fan. Like he's must be there must be literally dozens of, of this combination. That's a great combination, we- though. What do we always say? I'm like, people say I'm him. He's him. He's him. Like, I don't know if there's another Loyola Chicago Ramblers and New Mexico Lobos fan. You see, this is one of those situations where I'm actually supportive of this because the, the stuff that I hate is like, well, I grew up in Michigan, so I'm really a Michigan fan, but I went to Clemson. So I'm kind of a Clemson fan too. It's like, oh, so you just picked like two of the four best teams in football in the country. You're like, oh yeah. Like if you're a Loyola Chicago fan. And a New Mexico, like that's a little more palatable for me to accept. You're like, well, uh, talk to every single ASU fan you ever met in your life. I'm, I, I got a lot of hate in me as uh, the Arizona ASU game is going to tip right after we get done recording here. But, you know, I can't tell you how many ASU fans I've talked to where they're like, well, you know, my dad went to Ohio State. So I'm actually an Ohio State fan. I don't really care about ASU. It's like, but you go to ASU, you know. So um, th- those are the bigger problems that I have. Loyola Chicago not a name it's a name school now just in recent yes. memory in basketball but certainly not a name school as it relates to basketball in general so I'll, I'll, i'm supportive of george shout out george big time big time yeah. great to have a, a a dedicated fan like himself here listening to this podcast i think what matters is the paper the 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 degree says loyola chicago and i don't even know if he was there during the final four run he may have been which is crazy because like i'm just straight up old now like early like 33 just straight up old so it wouldn't be too shocking if folks right that went to school during that final four run are now active members of the corporate workforce but uh yeah he's also a new mexico fan which is great and he's so yeah he's got southwest ties taylor i think he's gonna be in scottsdale or phoenix um for a bachelor party or something he's getting married as well congratulations to george i know Uh, Our other listeners are probably just like, who the hell is George? Can we get to the other topics at hand? But this this is George's moment right now. Guy must love hatch green chilies. I think he does. Yes. I've only met him once at the corporate (laughs) at Rachel's corporate work party, by the way. And I've retained all of this information. And I think one of my talking points was hatch, you know, hatch chilies. Basically, your typical New Mexico stuff or your your typical Loyola Chicago stuff until he said, I'm a college basketball fan too. And I was like, Awesome, dude. We got to get him. Tell him to hit me up when he's out here. We got to get him to old Carlsbad Tavern down the street here. If he's a New Mexico guy, come on. That's so true. That's so Huge. true. I'll I, I, again. I don't have his number. I'll I'll have Rachel. He's gonna too. listen to this episode and be like, "What the hell is going on?" Six minutes of George, man. Uh, but thank you for listening, and thank you as always to all of our listeners. I'm gonna say that at the end of the episode, I do every single week, but. Uh, I would assume that we're going to get some more folks listening and watching us as we hit the best part of our college basketball season. And that starts Taylor with the Jerome. So let me actually bring back an oldie, but a goodie 
And I usually saved these when we were doing this week in feet twit time. It was towards the end. George doesn't know about this week in feet. New, new listeners don't know about this week in feet, uh, but it's exactly as it sounds. It's basically just me bringing up what happened this week in college basketball history. And I know I've said it a million times, Taylor, I, I keep a five-year journal and sometimes days aren't super exciting. So I fill the lines in the space with what happened in college basketball or what happened in the NBA this week in feet. All right. February 27th, 2023 Taylor uh, Bellerman kicked off the a sun tournament with a buzzer beater over North Florida. The Ospreys went down. Do you remember that game at all? Or do you remember that game winning shot from Bellerman? Cause uh, they were 15 and 17 and, Flo- and North Northern Florida was 14 and 17. God, I'd like to say it's ringing a bell. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could say that with 100% certainty that I remember. I, it, it sounds like something I would probably have been watching at noon on like a Thursday. Um, but can't say for certain that I was, I was there watching it. So, um, sounds right though. So I'm I'm glad you wrote that down. I did. Yeah. And I've seen on Twitter, I'm sure you have as well. The eight year anniversary of Steph Curry's amazing shot against OKC in the regular season. One oh, of the rare, I, I, I was gonna say eight years to cause college basketball podcast. I was like, uh, Steph Curry has been in the league uh, for more than eight years. Dog. You know, so, but yes, or, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember where I was for that for sure. That's like, what everyone's that. saying. And I agree. I was, I was at our friend's house. Actually. I remember that. And it's one of the rare regular season moments. Like this is kind of still the dog days of the NBA rare regular season moments where you remember where you were. And I'm over here just like, well, where were you when Bellerman beat North Florida? But yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about Steph Curry shot, it's still one of the best shots I've ever seen. Well, and just the stretch that led up to that shot was, was just as that's what made the shot even more absurd is the fact that he had hit 43 other threes, uh, essentially in the fourth quarter leading up to that. But no, I I remember Steph Curry shot a little more than the Ospreys going down last year. All right. All right, fine. Fair enough. Uh, But that means it's Jerome season, Taylor. We got the email from our keeper of the Jerome. Uh, The real keeper, right, the one that basically kicked this off, is actually retired. Very, very sad news. But Mm -hmm. shout out to our keeper, Brendan O'Rourke, for keeping this going. He's got a child on the way. He just moved into a new house. But Mm -hmm. that ain't stopping him. The email went out. And it is, look, I can can poke fun at this. I I, I have the wherewithal to do it. even though you know my stance on the court storming and Kyle Filipowski thing, it's called the Kyle Filipowski Memorial, uh, Jerome, that we are in this year, Taylor. And it kicks off. That is funny. It kicks off next week, though. Man, we are a son again. Uh, kind of crazy that I think it would it would seem that the season started a week later this year. I don't know, like leap year, whatever the hell you want to talk about. But the a son kicks off next week and kicks us off for conference tournaments, and we are in the real thick of it, man. So what I want to do, Taylor, is give the fine folks uh, our picks and our conference tournaments that we are really excited about. It can be for a plethora of reasons. Players, compelling storylines, coaches. It can be about a team trying to make their first dance ever. I don't know, but when you looked, Taylor, at these conference tournaments and some of the teams and names and players, what really stood out to you? Uh, what are you most excited about? I'm going to let you go off here. Oof. Well, I'm actually going to 
ask you a trivia question as we lead into this. Now, crack staff of research, uh, you know, experts that we have here on this program. Um, thankfully, you know, you have employed all of them. It's just you and me. Um, mm-hmm. No, so in the in my research, I've noticed that. And I don't think this is really that talked about. There's only one undefeated conference leader right now with heading into March. Do you know who that is? I believe that's St. Mary's. That is. And so I'm going to start with the least obscure of the tournaments, I think, uh, that we have coming up this next week. And just excited for the West Coast Conference. I I really do think it's an underappreciated fact that St. Mary's is doing what Gonzaga generally does. They're undefeated in conference. They're 14-0. There's only four games left in conference play for them. So... Um, obviously one of those games is against Gonzaga. Um, but at this, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, to this point in the year to be undefeated in conference is an impressive thing should be a really big storyline heading into these conference tournaments this coming week. Um, that Gonzaga is straight up at this point, not the favorite to, you know, to win the conference, uh, or win the conference tournament. So, um, that's a big storyline for me. Uh, is is that and that's that's not an obscure that's not going out on a limb to say that um, I think I think most people will will get that information by this coming uh, week. Now, another one I want to point out is the Horizon League, the Horizon League, as I pull up their stats right now, the Horizon League has, let's see, two, four, six, seven teams in double with double digit wins. That's going to make for a competitive and there's only four games spanning, you know, first to seventh place. So that should create a pretty exciting uh, tournament there. You, you got one team in the league there um, who maybe, you know, as we've talked about Detroit is one in 17. So everyone's just beat up on them. And I'm, sometimes I don't know how to interpret that. Right. Does that mean that those, some of those teams with double digit wins are like fraudulent because they have one of the worst teams in the, all of, college basketball in their conference i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure how to interpret that but the fact that there's that many double digit win teams within conference play is uh you know obviously notable and something that you know we can look forward to should mean should mean that it's a very exciting uh tournament to head so go ahead ahead. no so like i want to see where we overlap and on the horizon um Mm -hmm. first of all i don't think anyone's taking any team seriously in terms of going deep from the horizon. So in terms of like, oh, are these guys inflated? I don't know. A poor De- Detroit Mercy. I feel bad for them. But the teams that you mentioned, I- I'm glad you mentioned all of those uh, those names at the top, but Oakland, Youngstown State, Green Bay, Wright State, Northern Kentucky, all right? So Youngstown State, they were the leaders in the clubhouse last year. They were a very popular pick to win the horizon. They kind of choked in the conference tournament. The Penguins slipped on ice. Uh, Green Bay, one of the best jobs in the entire country that Sundance Wicks is doing. What a turnaround for them. How cool would it be to see them dancing after I think they had like an eight or nine win season last year? They're basically this year's Kennesaw State, I feel like. So it would be amazing if Green Bay could win the Horizon. Wright State, I'm just going to shout out our guy Clint Sargent. A couple of years back, we had him mm-hmm. on the podcast. and They played Arizona, actually. Uh, lost. But Wright State, they're, they've shown that they can win this conference multiple times the last few years. I feel like they're always on the bubble or bubble as in to win the horizon. And then they make it to the dance. Uh, and then Northern Kentucky, they're kind of the same way. The Norse just seem to, it always seems like they're in our bracket field. So uh, I didn't mention Oakland, 
but uh, Youngstown State and I think Green Bay, I'm just most excited about, man. I hope Green Bay takes this home. Was that two years ago? I was banging on Wright, Straight, Wright State all year long, and then they ended up losing the conference championship. I don't think they made it. They were like undefeated, and then I don't even know if they made the tournament. I can't remember. Uh, maybe they no, made they it. No, they definitely didn't make the tournament. No yeah, shot. I can't remember. No. But I was, I was banging on the Wright State drum all year long, and then it ended up not working out for me. Now, um, I do want to go flip this to another direction, though, if I may, and that is I want to highlight the Summit League. The Summit League is kind of in an opposite situation. There's only one team with double-digit wins, which should mean for some competitiveness and talk about teams that we often hear about as it relates to making the NCAA tournament. The three teams in the lead of that conference right now are North Dakota, North Dakota State, and South Dakota State. Those are the teams that we are all aware about in that in that conference. Um, that tournament always pl- takes place in Sioux City, South Dakota, Um at the gosh, shit, what's it called? The, the first center? game between Auburn, Auburn and Baylor was played there, right? Is it the center? Ah, I can't. It's just got a unique name that I can't think of right now. But um, it's got like that Bayesian teal court, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. And uh, but that conference always gives us a good conference tournament. It seems like because it always seems like those three teams, and then sometimes like an Oral Roberts uh, steps up there, and they all are pretty uh, equally matched from time to time. Um, and th- or one of them or two of those teams, excuse me, are always equally matched as we, we get this far into the year. Uh, another one that I, I would be remiss uh, if I didn't mention just because, you know, these are my people and it's a conference that we probably talk about more than any uh, other <laughs> podcast talks about. That's the big sky by Eastern Washington Eagles. Uh, they're leading the conference right now. Um, Northern Colorado is generally not a team that's up there, but they are in second place. And this is another conference that we usually see a lot of the same people. It's Eastern Washington. It's Montana. It's Montana State. And we get a Weber State in there as well. Now, if you look at the current conference standings, those other than Northern Colorado, our top our top five with Northern Colorado are Eastern Washington, Montana, Weber State and Montana State. So um, Eastern Washington is the favorite a lot in this conference. Uh, they are again this year, but one I always have my eye on because those schools are good enough. And I don't think a lot of people, obviously a lot of people don't follow the big sky. Right. But um, those schools, Montana, Montana state and Eastern Washington specifically. Um, and then obviously we know a very good alum from Weaver state, but it, it, those schools particularly have some talent on them. They're not necessarily NBA type of talent, but if you remember like, um, God, that was that guy's name a few years ago. Led the nation in scoring. Tyler. Uh, For EWU? Yeah, Tyler. Groves? No. Oh, I know who no, you're talking about. No, that's Tanner Groves is who you're thinking of. I know who you're, the guard, right? Tyler Wells, maybe? I know who you're talking about. He was about. like the nation's leader and scorer that year. I think he averaged like 27 points a game. And, and you do get a number of those guys from this conference. So that tournament is always exciting as well. Montana, Eastern Washington is actually, for those who don't know, a really big football and basketball rivalry, like a really big rivalry. So uh, that should be a fun one as well. So Tyler Harvey, Tyler Harvey, think- the real, the real T raw 44, I think his Twitter <laughs> name was. No way. Was it really? I think that's so. so good. I mean, he earned it. He earned it. Um, but I love that you brought up the big sky. Lest we forget NAU with like nine wins last year was in the title game. I think they played a triple overtime semifinal game. So, I don't, I don't know if I'd expect that again, but NAU was this close to making the dance last year. 
Montana State, everyone's been talking, like us, talking about Danny Sprinkle and doing the amazing job he's been doing at Utah State. They're still in a position to be all right. Northern Colorado, same sort of scenario where everyone's talking about Dalton Connect in Tennessee. He leaves UNC, uh, the other UNC, excuse me. Um, But Northern Colorado could very well punch their ticket in Taylor. I don't know who I need to ask, potentially a bracketologist. If Northern Colorado wins the, uh, the big sky, do we get a revenge game between Northern Colorado and Tennessee in the first round? That would seem like a 15 versus two type of deal. Wouldn't it? Would it not? Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect setup uh, for that. It was young T raw. Excuse me. But I feel like that wasn't, I feel like that wasn't his Twitter name when he was going off uh, in college. I I know T raw was a part of it. But um, that's neither here nor there, I would imagine, at this point. <laughs> I got to get him on the pod. We'll ask him. Also, also makes me feel old that he's 30 years old, which means the situation that I'm talking about was like eight years ago. And I'm not sure how I feel about that now that I'm looking into it a little more. So um, there's one other conference in here. You know, obviously, we know that the Big 12 and, the you know, all that, we don't have to talk about those conferences in terms of our excitement level towards them. Um We'll get there. Everyone gets excited for those conferences. We we know that. Um, but then the other one I want to call, talk about is actually a, 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 a school or some schools that we talked about on just last episode. That's the Big West. We're staying West. If you're a or you're West and you're big, we're we're here for that. Okay. So right now, uh, the uh, UC Irvine and UCSD, as you uh, talked about last episode, um, are both tied for the lead of the conference, thirteen and three. Uh, Cal Poly had no, kind of didn't realize that they were 0 and 16 because we've seen Cal Poly be good before. Um, more well, than one time. Their, they're missing their dude. I think it was Taron Armstrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, he was like one of the best players in college basketball the last couple of years. And I think he pursued a professional career and they're winless in conference, right? Right. Yep. So they're 4 and 24 overall, uh, 0 and 16. But uh, UC Irvine and, and UCSD headed towards. Uh, you know, they're both 13 and three. Um, UC Irvine is 11 0 at home. UC San Diego is 13 and one at home. Do we know off the top of your head, Sub, is Big West? Uh, do we go to the leader's court for that or do we play at neutral site? Can't remember. That I don't recall. For some reason, I feel like is Cal State Bakersfield in the Big West? Let me see. Hold on. Hold on. The Big West. Oh, no. It's going to be at the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, Nevada. Of course. Oh. One of the. Yeah, Nevada. The, yeah. One of the biggest arenas in Henderson, Nevada, I assume. So um, that will be a good one because you've got a lot of good teams uh, or a lot of uh, teams with, with some good records in there. Uh, but especially if we can get some UC Irvine, UCSD. Uh, it always seems like there's one little West Coast school, like a like a Big West team that kind of makes up. Not not winning multiple games, not maybe not even winning a game, but like keeps it tight with um with one of their larger opponents. Uh, you know this this team will probably be again like a fifteen type of seed. Um, obviously all these teams we're talking about are, but yeah, I can't see anyone from this conference being higher than a fourteen seed at the best, right? So, um, but we always seem to get a star potentially out of one of these little West Coast schools. So perhaps we'll get that out of UCSD or UC Irvine, the Anteaters, of course. Um, who's the number one anteater you think about when you think of Irvine? There's only one answer, and I'm bringing it back to my wife again. Uh, they went to high school together, apparently, or he graduated from 
her high school, and that's Mamadou Njai. Yep, exactly. I just remember Rondé Hollis Jefferson uh, dunking on Mamadou Njai back in the day. So um, those are some that I'm, I mean, obviously I'm excited for all of these tournaments. Uh, you know what, Sue, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot right here. You should tweet out that uh, link that I sent that we talked about earlier today about the breakdown, because it is hard to follow with where all these games are happening, when they're happening. And they are actually all available on TV, even if you're streaming um, and have YouTube TV. Just like us, baby. Welcome. (laughs) So um, it can get really confusing uh, with all these little tournaments going on. What are there, 32 conferences, I think? Uh, Something like that. So, yeah, that means 32, 31 conference tournaments uh, because the Ivy doesn't have a conference tournament, right? I think. I know they do. No, they, they do. have a conversation. It's just they only take the top four. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're right. Excuse me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, those are some of the ones that I'm uh, excited about. What do you? What say you there, Mr. Subramanian? Yeah. Dive in if anything catches your eye uh, with regards to teams. Like I got uh, storylines because a lot of this is driven by storylines. So I don't know if I was as good at prioritizing some of the conferences as you like I looked at my list and I was like this is pretty much three quarters of it but damn it I love the Jerome and there's so much that that needs to uh be sh- like there's so much light that needs to be shined on these smaller guys so that being said I am just going to start and get out of the way like yes every single year I'm excited for the Big East tournament Madison Square Garden absolutely amazing I'm also every single year excited for the Missouri Valley tournament Arch Madness in St. Louis it always delivers. There always seems to be a buzzer beater in the semis and the finals. It's great pageantry. And actually, I want to get out to St. Louis one time. The Big 12 last few years has just been amazing just because of the teams. That's probably going to be the most difficult tournament to pick just because like the seventh best or the seventh seeded team could win the whole thing. And then this year, much like a couple of years ago, the Mountain West and we'll get a little bit to the mountain West if we have time later on, but the mountain West is just so much fun because six can beat one and that you don't see that very often in mid-major conferences. Like it wouldn't surprise me if, if Colorado state at some point, I love you, Ali for Oakmanesh for a great friend of the program, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're playing for a tournament berth. Like they're faltering a little bit, Colorado state. They're in seventh place right now in conference. Exactly, man. Team that was ranked as high as 13, I think, this year. Exactly. You nailed it. And then New Mexico, who we talked about, Georgia got you again, man. This is the Georgia episode. Um, It's just like the Mountain West, there's no clear-cut team, and that's not between like one versus two or one versus three. That's like one versus two, three, four, five, and six. I don't know. So those are like the the easy heavy hitters that that we know about. Let me get into the weeds here, Taylor. And again, dive in with uh, any anything that you want to when I bring these up, but let me, and this is in no particular order, but let me start with conference USA, uh, Sam Houston state. They're leading the conference and they've only been to the dance twice in their history. They're leading alongside Louisiana tech. I'd love to see the Bearcats in the dance. I don't know what their mascot is, but I'd assume it's actually Sam Houston or a, like a replica of Sam Houston. Uh, remember the Alamo, all that good stuff, but I'd like to see them win this conference tournament and punch their ticket. Western Kentucky is a team that has been pretty good the last few years, uh, but they're struggling a little bit. So can they find some resurgence and maybe a little bit of March magic to punch their ticket and a team that used to run their previous conference before moving on Richie McKay and Liberty. They 
ran the A-Sun until, of course, Kennesaw State ended up beating them. They come over to Conference USA, and now they're in the bottom half. It has not been a good season for Liberty, but they have the most postseason experience. So can Liberty capture a bit of magic? But, man, Conference USA, Sam Houston State, let's see them get their third tournament ever. Dude, I'm a big Western uh, Kentucky guy. Uh, I've bet on them a number of times this year. Um, and, you know, I, for some reason, they always have caught my eye in terms of a team that I um, pay attention to. Now, you just bring up the, the conference in general, right, and who can win uh, one of these uh, tournaments. Now, you, you, Conference USA, you got, um, you know, guys like Kai Kai Tandy for Jacksonville State is the leading scorer in the conference, right? Well, he's not even on one of the best teams in the conference. Can he you know, can he step up? And that's what, I, that's what we love about these little conference tournaments is you can't ride a guy for 20 games. Right. But for three, you, you could ride, you know, ride him. So um, that's, that's a factor here. Did you know, do you remember the name Daniel Bacho, by the way? Oh yeah. Former yeah. Arizona guy. Yeah. Louisiana tech guy now. So he's conference. USA. I thought it was still, a, I thought uh, last I thought I heard of him when he was at tech. My bad. Right. Texas tech. So, but point being is that, we think of these conferences like these tiny little conferences, right? But there are players who got re recruited by the Arizonas and the Kentuckys and the, you know, so-and-sos of the world that I don't want to say have fallen back, but have found more playing time or a better home here. So it's not to say that these conferences are untalented or lack talent in, in a lot of ways. Um, when you got a guy that was, you know, quite literally recruited by every five-star or every, you know, high major basketball team that you're aware of. So, um, yeah, I, that's one thing I like. I'll look at in terms of my research for the Jerome is, uh, d you know, things like the leading scorer in the conference. Does that mean he's really good? Does that mean he is just having to drag a team along? Uh, but a conference like that where you got a lot of close teams and then the leading scorer of the conference is on the fourth or fifth best team in the in the league. That's uh, something to keep your eye on, I think. More shout shout outs to George and New Mexico, Jamarl Baker played at Arizona and Kentucky. Uh, he's very seasoned, we'll say. But he's played he's everywhere. There. <laughs> he's there. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> he's been around for sure. And Fresno uh, State, too. And Fresno State, that's right. Yeah, he's been for, a couple stops in the Mountain the West. The craziest part, he's been, at, he's been at all these schools for multiple years at all of them, too. <laughs> right, it's so. impressive. It's impressive. Um, and then also Tibet Gorner. He's a former Arizona guy. He's over at San Jose State now. I don't expect them to win the Mountain West, but there's talent there as well. Um, so yeah, starting off with conference USA, let me move on then to the Ivy, man. I'm going to bookend this season, Taylor talking about the Ivy, uh, even though I think more people are prone and privy and, and knowledgeable about them. I still think they need more shouts. All right. So the top three are all even man, Cornell, Princeton, and Yale, Cornell and Princeton, both 20 win, 20 win teams. You mentioned some double digit win teams in conference. Cornell and Princeton have 20 wins each and Yale might be knocking on that door. They might have 20 wins by the time their tournament starts. The Ivy league is tremendous, tremendous basketball. And you talk about Taylor, sort of this, uh, this movement of players that were recruited by high major programs. And then they're at lower major programs, but still talented enough and still impactful. Here's what the Ivy League has. They have players that have transferred out because of these types of showcases, right? Think about Ryan Langborg over at Northwestern now, who's averaging like 12 a game. 
Um, Seth Towns, I think, left from Harvard to Ohio State. He's also still playing college basketball. I think he's at Howard now. But uh, the Ivy is going to be so much fun. And if there's a name that you want to look out for, it's it's Xavier Lee. The guy is awesome for Princeton. He has he has potential like NBA uh, potential. Um, Tosan Evisam uh, is in the league as well from Princeton, but the Ivy is going to be a lot of fun. Metro Atlantic, Taylor, Fairfield, Quinnipiac, St. Peter's, Niagara, and Marist are all a game and a half of each other. Now, you can find that in a lot of other conferences, maybe, uh, but Quinnipiac, baby, I mentioned them earlier this season, uh, doing a great job this year. St. Peter's, do we see the Peacocks again in the dance a couple of years removed after Shaheen Holloway and then Shaheen Holloway in the dance as well with Seton Hall? I doubt they'll match up it would be really neat to see St. Peter's get back Niagara. I think Greg Paulus is still the head coach there. So it'd be interesting to see a former Duke player, former great player at the collegiate level uh, back in the dance. So this is a conference with a buttload of teams all within a game and a half. It's going to be competitive there. So I'm going to go back to the Ivy for one second here. Um, So two things, I don't know what this means. I just want to throw this out there. Princeton is the highest team in net ranking that hasn't played a quad hasn't played a quad one team this year they're ranked they're 51 in net but they haven't even played a quad one team now juxtapose that with a team like yale who has four double digit losses this year okay four that sounds like a lot but they have not, they haven't lost a game by more than 15 points this year and they're two 15 point losses which isn't that bad were to Gonzaga and Kansas. Wow. Like that's t- talk about flying under the radar. We we've, we've talked a lot about Princeton and they do have kind of a I, I don't know if prolific is the right word but they do have a prolific offense and have for a number of years now. But Yale is also 92. Yale also has beaten Pro- Princeton this year. They've also lost to Princeton too. They split. But Yale has games against teams like i mean they they played kansas pretty well they played gonzaga pretty well to only lose by 15 uh clearly not at not at yale these games did not take place um so their other losses have been close games even those two games i mean i don't think anybody in the world is going to be like wow a 15 point loss to kansas that's a bad loss like no that's anyone which no matter you could be ranked number one in the country and lose to by 15 to kansas and everybody would be fine with that uh, mm-hmm. Houston could quite literally lose by 15 points to Kansas. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so just pointing that out with Yale specifically, um, they've kept every game tight. So I don't know if they're going to win anything if they do make the tournament, but they've, co- they've covered, let's put it that way in, in a lot of games and their leading scorer, Danny Wolf there. So, um, I am excited about the MIAC as well, but just wanted to point that out about Yale specifically. They have, they're kind of sneaky under the radar. We've talked a lot about Princeton, but almost nothing about Yale. It's a great call out. And I mentioned Damian Lee and his potential for the NBA. Danny Wolf, he's another guy. I was watching a little bit of Yale basketball earlier in the season. And the announcers uh, basically were saying that he's on NBA scouts radar, like maybe late second round or an undrafted free agent. So there's NBA talent there uh, for Yale as well in the Bulldogs. Let me move on now, Taylor, to the OVC, OV, OVC crew. All right. Little Rock, Moorhead State, UT Martin, Western Illinois. Uh, and Tennessee State, all within two games of each other. Western Illinois, they've never made the dance. 
They've never made the dance. How cool would it be to see Northwestern in the dance and Illinois in the dance and then <laughs> Western Illinois in the dance? Damn it, that would be so cool. And then uh, UT Martin, I don't know the last time they were there. Tennessee State, Eddie George coaching the football team. I don't know. Like the, the, the names I'm just super unfamiliar with. We are very familiar with Moorhead State as it relates to like lower mid majors, uh, you know, the likes of Janai broom came from Moorhead state and Kenneth Fareed. But, uh, I think it would be cool to have Western Illinois make their debut in the dance. And you know what it there, all these teams are within two games of each other. You get into that, that conference tournament format, who knows what happens. And then creeping, I know we're a year removed, but Southeast Missouri state, do you guys remember a couple of years ago, their insane run to punch their ticket to the dance? Yes. Who knows if Southeast Missouri State can do it again? So you know what? OVC, shout out to Trenton Hassel at the beginning of the show. I'm excited for that. In the Ohio Valley, they're in a team that you brought up that hasn't made the tournament before. The old Leathernecks there. Um, also, uh, Sam Houston is the Bearcats with a K. With a K. By the way. Yes. Yeah, the old Leathernecks something I want to bring up about them specifically. And this is actually, I I don't know if incredible is the right word, but I'm going to say incredible. They're 10 and six on the road. Well, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Like that's legitimately impressive. impressive. Right. So, um, you know, the leader of that conference, like you said, little rock Moorhead, uh, UT Martin, you know, nine and seven, nine and seven, six and six on the road, but to be 10 and six on the road for a little conference, uh, school, like, like the old leathernecks there. Uh, that's an impressive that's an impressive feat if you ask me i don't i think there's you would ask almost any school in the country if you said hey you went 10 and 6 on the road this year you'd probably win 25 games then overall you know if because if you're that good on the road um you must be pretty good at home now funny enough they're only 8 and 5 at home uh but don't know what but, it is about macomb yeah. i've never been to macomb <laughs> illinois yeah. <laughs> not sure I've ever heard of Macomb, Illinois until this exact discussion right now, but no, that that's something I want to point out about them. It's a really good road record. And I would imagine a, a you know, a, a stat like that should bode well for a, a conference tournament it means they can play anywhere in my eyes. The, the expectations of Illinois rests with uh, Western Illinois uh, Southland conference. Can someone knock off Will Wade? That's pretty much it. I don't want that to happen. I want Will Wade back in the dance, but it would be a pretty monumental upset if McNeese State had such a tremendous regular season like they have and then folded in the conference tournament. And then are we going to see another brawl between Incarnate Word and Texas A&M uh, Commerce? We'll see. Those are really all my thoughts on the Southland. Uh, like I said, wasn't very judicious in picking these, but there's some storyline there. The SWAC. This is, I know this is your favorite conference, man. The SWAC. It's a competitive league amongst five teams, but they're all terrible. They are god-awful. The most wins in this conference, not just conference wins, like overall record, the most wins, is your boys, your favorite team, Southern, with 16. They have the most wins in the SWAC at 16. Um, like I said, it's a competitive league, but... I would say if you're a real sicko, you'll tune into these SWAC games and it's not going to be good basketball. They are going to be going. Hey, hey, to, now. <laughs> it's going to be the winner gets the number one overall seed. Best of luck playing like Houston or UConn or Purdue. Uh, well, 
you know, play Purdue, they might be licking their chops just based off of history. Hey. But the swag, uh, tune in if you really want to, I don't know, get a palate cleanser or just to muck your palate up. <laughs> muck your palate up. Um, you know, one of the teams that is in the swag is Alabama AM. Um, Sue, do you know Alabama AM's probably most famous alumni or alumnus? Don't. That's a guy named Tahid Epps, better known as Two Chains. Mm. So uh, he also played for the basketball team there, Alabama A and M. So you know something to consider when you're taking the in the Jerome here is um, you know Two Chains four bracelets, uh, something that you always want to keep an eye on. It's it's this type of um, it's this type of inside info or it's not inside info but just remembrance of info that helps you in the Jerome for sure. You gotta know that that pregame uh intro music it's got to be at least four two chain songs i would imagine there for alabama a and um and I, you know obviously i have a lot of history with southern uh one of my real ultimate rivals uh just personally i actually bet on them quite a bit though so i feel like you know i don't know if i'm circling in any southern jaguar twitter spaces here right now but i'm a supporter of southern despite the fact that they came at me for no good reason so um, go to chains in Alabama and him, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I like Southern, uh, and I do think that they are probably going to be the, the team that I'll pick in the Jerome. Go to Ken Palm, go to Bart Torvik, go to Evan Mia, do your numbers crunching, and they serve a purpose, they're terrific. Uh, we will tell you who are famous musicians and rappers from these schools, and you should base your you should incorporate that into your file. Well, it's not like there's anyone else has any other better reason, honestly. I mean, for people, real. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to hear people telling me, like, why Southern is going to win. There's uh, no chance. Al- yeah, you don't know that Anyone much. watched an Alabama a and game this year? No chance, yeah. right? But here's an important thing I want to point out about the Jerome, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but it is a piece of advice. I, I can't go back and say that it's accurate or not accurate. I just want to point this out as well. There's a lot of value to be had in some of these conferences that we've brought up with teams all within the same range, right? Like the fifth seed being oh, yeah. only a game or two back. I know this is not really going out on a limb, but it's just something to keep in mind that like you got some of these conferences, three teams tied for the lead. Well, one's got to be the one, one's got to be the two, one's got to be the three. Just unless you totally think that the one seed is better than everybody else, right? That three seeds got the same record and a lot more, um, you know, value. value thank you. Um, so just something to point out. Cause I know that, um, I have been burned by overlooking some stuff before. And that's one of those things where it's like, well, shit, why didn't I pick the fifth place team? Who was only one game back of first place. I could have gotten triple the amount of points. So just something to keep in mind as you're filling out your Jerome sheet bracket document, bracket. document, document. Yeah. Documents probably, <laughs> Probably the best, uh, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good call out. Taylor, the last one that I'm excited about, it's the whack. All right. So I know with the swack, I was being a troll and joking, but the whack is going to be compelling stuff. All right. Bryce drew has done an amazing job at GCU. One of the best, I think they were talked about a little bit as an at large team and they've stumbled. They had one bad week. Uh, and that's enough for a team like GCU to now be an AQ status moving forward. But can he get to his third NCAA tournament? That's why I say Bryce Drew has done an amazing job with the Lopes. Tarleton State, Billy Gillespie, 
this is like a full redemption arc for for Billy Gillespie. Uh, if you remember, he was once the head man at Kentucky, and truth be told, just straight up squandered it, spoiled it with irresponsible behavior. He is now at Tarleton State. They've been a program for, I think, four years, never been to the dance. Billy Gillespie and Tarleton State actually just beat GCU recently. Can they punch their ticket and win the WAC? I think the WAC has some really, really compelling storylines and some fun uh, teams. And of course, our guy Casey Shaw, who was on the program, an assistant coach over there at uh, GCU. And I'll tell you what, GCU wins the WAC. Is it far-fetched to think that 14 versus three, we get GCU versus Baylor, the Drew Bowl? Like, is that too crazy, Taylor? 13-4, 14-3? Bryce Drew versus Scott Drew? GCU versus Baylor? What do you think? Dude, that's Grand Canyon. I, I, I shouldn't assume that they're going to win this conference, um, but they are in first place. But that is absolutely not a team I'd want to play in the NCAA tournament. 100% would not want to play them. Now, Tarleton State's interesting. They're the number one team in luck in Ken Palm, which is more so than Utah State. I feel like Utah State, they're number one, Tarleton? Yeah, Tarleton State's number one in luck. So they, yeah, that's a, it's the least lucky team uh, <laughs> is uh, Murray State, for whatever that's worth. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, Missouri is also unlucky, but I think they also just suck, which is part of that as well. But um, Grand Canyon, legitimately good basketball school at this point. Uh, they have been in the mix for the NCAA tournament essentially every year that they have been a D1 school, including, if you want to say this, the years that they were ineligible to make the NCAA tournament. They, they, there was an opportunity for them that they could have even been an at-large bid. I think it was the second or third year that they were. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, they beat San Diego State, a game that I think you and I were both at. Yep. Um, they've been very good for the less than 10 years that they have been uh, a D1 program. And that's just a school that over and over again, just given their location and the backers that they have behind it, it's just not a school that I would want to see in the NCAA tur- tournament. If, you know, Tyon Grant Foster is averaging like 20 points a game. They score a lot. They average over 80 points a game. Um, their, their defense is decent in terms that they – average less than 70 points a game given up so that's you know for me that's just not a game i would want to see um yeah give me southern or alabama or a lot of these other schools that we just talked about over a school like grand canyon that's for sure you mentioned sdsu they beat sdsu this year and they were in a a battle with south carolina yeah yeah Yeah. so uh yeah Uh, the whack is is going to be a lot of fun the last few items taylor before we move on uh the a sun uh, can Eastern Kentucky get back to the dance for the first time in 10 years? The AAC, I think, depending on how you view it, if it's a major conference or not, uh, that's going to be a great conference tournament because you got FAU who's struggling, but can they get the ship right? You got Memphis who's really only opportunity or, or chance to get to the dance is winning that thing. And they're kind of on borrowed time right now. So FAU and Memphis, who we thought were the two heavy hitters, there's a lot of other folks around them, uh, including UAB and SMU. SMU doesn't pass the ball whatsoever, Taylor. I think they have like 10 total assists in their last two games. They just do not share the basketball, but they're still winning games. Uh, and then, of course, at the top, Amir Abdul-Rahim, already referenced Kennesaw State. USF 
in the driver's seat to win the regular season conference title? Can they do it in the conference tournament? And then Charlotte with a essentially first year head coach, half first year head coach. He was the interim. Then he got that interim tag taken off. The AAC is going to be uh, really fun. Don't sleep on the A-10. Everyone thought Dayton's the best team. They very well might be, but Loyola, Chicago, Georgia got you one more time. And then Richmond. No one's talking about Richmond, man. And they're they're just at the top of the conference as well. Um, so the A-10 is going to be fun. And then the Big South. You mentioned a couple episodes, UNC Asheville. We always think of them and Drew Pember as the ones that run this conference with an iron fist. High points here to challenge them. So in the Big South, I feel like we're going to see I feel like in the Big South and the SoCon, we're going to see uh, some new blood have to rise up and take it from those that really dominate the conference. And High Point, Asheville, I think we're going to see in the title game. And you basically say to yourself, can High Point win the biggest game in, I don't know how many years, potentially biggest in their, their program's history. So those are just the last few that I wanted to mention as well. So here's something I want to mention. And I'm just coming across this right now. And I think that this is a topic of discussion that I need to start on Reddit College Basketball, if it hasn't already. Do you know that Her- the company Hercules Tires, have you heard of them yeah. before? Are you aware of how many conference tournaments they sponsored? I feel like I do hear them all the time, but I just associate them with just one. I know they're in one, like a Vegas one, right? So, right, this is incredible. I'm so excited that I found this. This year, at, at minimum, what I can find is that they're sponsoring the WAC conference tournament, the the MAAC conference tournament, the Big West conference tournament, the Southland conference tournament, and the Big South conference tournament. There's a lot what? of college basketball. What man. the hell's going on here? <laughs> How is Hercules? How does Hercules Tires have at least five uh, conference tournaments that they've sponsored here? This is something that need. I think I need to discuss. I need to do a deep dive into this. Here, here I was. I had all night last night by myself doing nothing. You know that I that I could have been doing hard hitting research, like researching Hercules Tires and why they're sponsoring literally almost twenty percent uh, of the conference tournaments in the world. I'm going to tweet at them. And hopefully yeah, we, we can need get a, a get a response. Can we get their like CEO or something on the like what's what the hell's going on here? Why what is their connection with college basketball? That's I'll what ask. we need to find out here. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this. We need to figure this out. Maybe they're just hoop heads. Um Jerome season is here, folks. We're gonna actually give out our picks once the brackets and the seedings are all set. But those are just some teams, names, players that you should really look out for Taylor. Before we get to segments, let's just do real quick, rapid thoughts. Uh, Kentucky gets a huge win in Starkville. It seems as if something crazy always happens when Kentucky goes to Starkville, not necessarily Kentucky versus Mississippi state, but Kentucky at Mississippi state. And we got a wild, wild finish. Uh, Reed Shepard was just unbelievable, man. Uh, he had 32, on 11-14 shooting, 4-7 from deep. Antonio Reeves was tremendous with 21. Rob Dillingham had a relatively quiet night. Uh, but, man, the story was Reed Shepard. He's a stud. Sub, I would say a predictable win over Mississippi State, if you ask me, a guy who may have said that out loud on last episode. But, no, but this is a perfect example 
and I, I, I hate to say this when we talk about Kentucky because it's kind of the same story every year. It's like this is a, that game is a perfect example of Kentucky being able to have the talent to go into a tough location to play. Now, obviously, being Mississippi State on the road is not like beating Tennessee on the road or something like that, right? But, I mean, they've got these great individuals on that team. Now, the I saw a stat this week, and it really made me think about this Kentucky team and how it's built. And we give a lot of these coaches – um, a lot of benefit of the doubt, right? We give the Calipari's, the, you know, Coach K's, obviously who's no longer coaching in college basketball, the Bill Self, so on and so forth. We give them a lot of benefit of the doubt. I don't think we question a lot of these coaches' decisions um, throughout the year, generally, because, well, yeah, it's Coach Cal, it's Coach K, it's whatever. Interestingly, Coach Cal has played their second most played lineup this year so far is the 14th least efficient lineup of any lineup that's played college basketball this year. And that is their second most common lineup this year. And there is some Kentucky, you know, the normal person doesn't question coach Cal, right? Kentucky, you lose like one game and they want to fire coach Cal. Right. But that's a legitimately, uh, you know, notable stat to say that this guy is actively and proactively playing one of the least efficient lineups in the country. So maybe it's not a talent thing. Maybe it's a coaching thing at Kentucky that, you know, some of their struggles. And that's it's a topic of conversation. And obviously we try and cover all of college basketball. So we can't do too many deep dives into Kentucky's most efficient lineup every single week. But that was a a really unique stat I I came across this week. And maybe some of their struggles, uh, because they clearly have the talent, but maybe some of the struggles are are some coaching decisions. So something to monitor there uh, in in Lexington. Yeah, I looked at the box score just to get the numbers, and it was kind of crazy to see Reed Shepard and uh, Dillingham came off the bench. It, you just figured that they were starters, right? Um, so very interesting there uh, in Lexington, like you had mentioned. Uh, real quick, ACC Mountain West discourse. This has just gotten out of control, folks. We got the old guard ACC getting upset that people are loving on the Mountain West. And I'm not here to break down about metrics or if in a challenge, like head-to-head, which teams would beat which teams. I'm not here to do that, all right? what I am, Although I think Clemson did beat Boise State, so congratulations to the ACC. What I am here to say is to try and give an explanation to ACC fans as to why we love the Mountain West and why they're getting all this love. First of all, you guys are comparable. Like you are comparable, I should say, team-wise, one through six. You absolutely are comparable. Like it's not that far-fetched to say. But the most important thing is that the Mountain West is just way more fun. Now, are they more fun because they have what seem to be closer, wilder finishes? Yeah. Is it because we're up at 1 a.m. Eastern time, probably loopy as hell? Yeah, most likely that contributes to it. But also the teams are just way more compelling. I'm, I'm sorry. If I look at the ACC, I got UNC and Duke who they're not compelling. And I say that out of admiration and respect because I know how great they're going to be year in and year out. Virginia can't score. Why the hell would I want to watch Virginia? They're they're so ugly to watch. Clemson, up until this year, always folds in January. So I couldn't take them seriously up until this season. Congratulations to Clemson. But then you got Brad Brownell dumping on the Big 12 uh, and, and saying they're scheduling teams like Abilene Christian. 
Newsflash, Brad. Abilene Christian has one less tournament appearance than you during your tenure and one less tournament win than you during your Clemson tenure. I'd be a little careful who I'm calling out here. Tell Uh, people. Wake Forest. Okay. I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. I want to love you. You beat Duke. And then what do you do? You go and squander it and lose to Notre Dame. Conversely, <laughs> right? So that's that's like the top five, top six of the Mountain West. All right. Or excuse me, the ACC. Conversely, you got Utah State. First year head coach, Danny Sprinkle. They don't have any scorers coming back from last year. Zero points returning. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Boise State. Uh, coach Roberto Bergerson, our guy, what do you want me to say? Um, um, and Tyson Degenhardt's a great player. Like there's great players in the ACC too. And I'm actually going to highlight one before we get out of here, but San Diego state, they went to the NCAA tournament or title game. All right. And I know Miami had a final four team, the ACC, uh, San Diego state had a mountain, like mountain West was in the national title game. So they're compelling Nevada. Jared Lucas just hit a game winner. All right. They only have six losses on the year. They're a very good team. Their Q1 uh, performance, I think, has been pretty good. Like Nevada is super fun to watch. And then UNLV, we're all yearning for them to be great again. The early 90s. Okay. Uh, We have the great teams of of Duke and UNC. Like I don't need to monitor them. I want to monitor UNLV, who also beat Creighton this year. And then New Mexico, a team that has so much talent. They have they play in one of the best arenas in all of America, and they're on the bubble now. They're compelling. They're, it's just a more fun conference to watch. The Mountain West is so you can chirp at me. You can say, "Well, it, this team head to head, and this conference head to head, and strength the schedule." Blah blah blah. I'm just here to tell you, as a realist, I'm siding with the Mountain West because they're just way more fun. Like UNLV is way more fun to watch. The Boone brothers are way more fun to watch than Virginia. In Clemson, I hate to tell you, and rant. Good lord. Well, I mean, I don't think he brought it up, and this is part of the discourse uh, that has been a discussion point. But the Mountain West is projected at this point by Lunardi to get six seat teams into the tournament. Yeah, they're mad at that. ACC folks ACC hate that. Five, right? Yeah, yeah, they're probably saying like, why should why should uh, UNLV or like what not not UNLV, but like why should New Mexico get in over Syracuse? And they're like throwing an absolute fit. And I want to be like, yo, do you see how far you've come down? You're arguing with the Mountain West. I'm not saying the ACC is bad. It's just have a feel a little bit, man. You're so insecure. There's also like 29 ACC teams now too, which makes this even more pathetic that you're arguing, that they're arguing about this, right? So um, I am super excited for the Mountain West and just because their timing of what could quite literally be the best year they've ever had in basketball as a conference is coinciding with the Pac-12 falling apart. And the timing of this for the Mountain West could not be better, especially that they're going to add, or no, no, excuse me, they're not adding anybody next year, but, um, you know, they're going to be able to at least take some of the reins of West Coast basketball as it relates to the whole conference being in the Western half of the country. Uh, We will still have West Coast basketball with, teams that are now in the big 10 big 12 whatever um but they're t- the mountain west timing could not be better uh for what could be their best basketball season they've ever had as a conference and it's legitimately impressive that they're going to get six teams into the into the NCAA tournament i mean it's it legit impressive. legit impressive and that i don't know yeah like clemson isn't better than any of these teams that we just that better than boise state i'm okay with well saying that, but, sure, but you know yeah. right but you know what i mean like i mean no totally it, 
Clemson's not better than any of these teams, specifically other than Boise State, you know, at this point. Orange, another orange team. Um, so I yeah, Duke and North Carolina are better than these other schools. I get that. Just like you brought up. I understand that, right? But you said it. Utah State's good. Colorado State was ranked 13th this year. And they're like we talked about earlier, the third seventh best team in the conference right now. You know, so um, and you can't say again, I'm kind of banging the same drum you did. You can't say this, these teams don't have experience because they were in the title game last year. So uh, I'm I'm legitimately impressed by the Mountain West. There's some leg- legitimately hard places to play in big arenas. New Mexico, big arena. The Pit is one of the toughest places to play in the country. San Diego State, Viejas Arena, one of the toughest places to play in the country. Utah State might be the toughest place to play in the whole country. So they've got great home court advantages, great arenas just in general. And now they've always had those things. And they really have always had those things. Those We've highlighted the home court advantages in the Mountain West for years. But now they have teams that are nationally relevant to back up what their, their fan base is, uh, you know, excitement towards their program. So it's really exciting to watch. I'm going to probably end up taking too many Mountain West teams too far in the tournament this year. But I'm okay with that because I'd much rather be rooting for a team like Utah State to go further than to be like, oh, I hope Syracuse makes it to the Sweet 16. Like, no, I don't give a shit. Give me give me Nevada to the Sweet 16 over any of the ACC schools that are not like Duke or North Carolina. Yeah, I, I'm just tired of ACC fans and their insecurity and like their highbrow, highfalutin, you're not allowed to be in this club. That's what they are. They're like a country club that's saying, no, you cannot be in this conversation with us. And I, I, I kind of get to a point where their point of saying like, Hey, we're disrespected. I don't think the ACC is as bad as some people may want to make it out to be. Cause again, they produce final four teams. They might just do it again with Duke or Carolina or someone else. I don't know. But to say that the mountain West is beneath you. Like, I hate that. It it just comes off as it's, it's ugly. It's really, really ugly. Uh, And ACC fans like, they're kind of embodying and epit- and it's not even coming from Duke fans, I don't think, because Duke fans are secure with themselves yeah. and how they're performing. It's not coming from Carolina fans. I'm getting it from NC State fans who have been average as hell. I'm getting it from Wake Forest fans who have been average as hell. I'm getting it from Clemson fans and Brad Brownell who are as average as hell. Like, stop being average, man. That's that's all I gotta. I, that's all I gotta say. And yeah, if you're wondering why I I am like drawn more to you think Nevada's average they, they have six losses on the year you have like nine or ten I know you're probably playing a better a t- tougher convert uh, uh, schedule but like the the reality of the situation is that you guys are comparable point blank period I hate to be the bearer of bad news get used to it or get better is like who's Louisville beating in the Mountain West top half of the Mountain West that's a team that exists in the ACC you know, yes. right? like they're not beating any, any of those top teams. Uh, Notre Dame has here's here's actually this is great. Notre Dame has six wins. Notre Dame sucks. <laughs> I don't think there's any other better way to put that. Notre Dame is bad and they have yeah. six conference wins in the ACC. I would bet some dollars that they wouldn't have a better record in conference in the Mountain West. Those those teams. And I know that we started comparing the top to the top, but if you want to go and compare to the bottom to the bottom, I don't think those those teams in the ACC are not going to fare any better in the Mountain West this year, in my opinion. It's it's very very comparable, is all I'm saying. So ACC fans, clean it up just a little. I'm tired of your belly aching. 
All right, Taylor. I'm sorry. That was uh, very, very uh, passionate of me. Let's get out of here on some segments. Damel Dimes. Hey, two in one week uh, or two in one picks, I should say, last time out. Just a quick recap. We are now sitting uh, at 26, 25, and three because Houston, Cincinnati, you took Houston minus 13 and a half. That did not hit since he's just a bunch of cockroaches, man. Uh, Syracuse minus one against Vatek. You absolutely nailed this. You were like, why the hell is this a pick em? Syracuse won by 13. Syracuse, a very good team at home. And then you took Kentucky plus three, which you referenced against Mississippi State. Kentucky wins outright. So we're, we're, we're back, Sue. We're back. Yeah, that Cincinnati yeah. team, man, that was a tough, uh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, they're maybe better than their record suggests, but they're not better than their record suggests, I guess. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, they, they can, they can scrap to some covers. Let's put it that way. Um, but I want to go to the big 10 and before I want to put, or let you know what I'm betting on in the big 10, I know that I've been banging on Wisconsin for about two months now. Um, rightfully so might add, would you believe me if I told you that they have a legitimate shot to not win any another game this year? They had a horrible February. I don't know what their remaining schedule is, though. They play Illinois and Purdue. And then they also play they play Rutgers in there as well um, at, at in Wisconsin. So that should be a win. Okay. But they're legitimately they're I don't think they're beating Illinois or Purdue. So they're going to end the season like three of their three wins of their last like 12 games. And they're That's somehow crazy. still projected as a five seed, which is outlandish to me like like this team's not good at all they're not good they haven't been good they weren't good whatever i just want to point out that um that, team's, that team is just not good at all and somehow they're still projected as a five seed which is completely ridiculous like how can you go three potentially three of your last 12 games and still be a top five seed in the NCAA top 20 team essentially yeah ridiculous that's... ridiculous yeah. so anyway but we're going to stay in the big 10 and we go to a, a team that just fired their coach that has been on a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a hot streak, but they have won two of their last three games. But I think that ends when Ohio State hosts Nebraska ball. Uh, Nebraska is a two-point underdog. Um, I think that you all, we talk about this all the time, and everybody does, about how you fire a coach and all of a sudden the team gets real good for about three games, right? But I feel like that's it's never sustainable, right? It's never sustainable. And so I feel like this is, even though it's at home, uh, for Ohio State, I feel like this is kind of a comeback to earth type of game. The Nebraska ball is more than decent, 20 and 8 this year. Um, so I like them as underdogs on the road, uh, plus two. Uh, now we're going to go back to the West to two teams that are just frustrating to figure out if they're good or not. One we know isn't good, and the other we know can be good, especially when they're at home. And that's Utah hosting Stanford. Utah, seven point favorites at home. Uh, Utah is not even the same team on the road as they are at home. Two completely different basketball teams. I'm not sure if they even have the same players at home <laughs> or on the road. I think that's a legitimate question to ask. But at home, I'll bet on them more times than not. Stanford is not good at home or on the road, for that matter. So uh, we're going to take Utah minus seven hosting Stanford. And then we're going to go to some teams that we talked about a little earlier, little earlier. Could be a conference championship preview. And that's um, North Dakota and South Dakota State. I'm going to take North Dakota minus one against South Dakota State. Um, you know, two pretty evenly matched teams overall. 
I would say that some people might even say that, I don't know, North Dakota is better than South Dakota State, some would say. So the fact that they're only a one-point favorite at home, give me one of those kind of single-digit uh, home home team favorites uh, in, in this situation. So we're going North Dakota over South Dakota State by one. We're going to go Utah over Stanford by seven. And then we're going to say Nebraska is going to cover, maybe even win some some might be a little aggressive with that bet and bet a money line uh, visiting Ohio state. Let's keep the train rolling Taylor, mm-hmm. not only in this episode, but also with these bets, mm-hmm. uh, not so mid were we highlighting today. So we talked about this team earlier, but I wanted to point out something specifically about what got them to where they're at. And that's uh, Darius Brown uh, hitting um, a, a game tying deep three for Utah state. Uh, against Fresno State, keeping them ranked, keeping them uh, at atop the conference. So Darius Brown, that's my not so mid here. I don't know. We can't even, you know, I shouldn't really. We shouldn't really bring up the Mountain West now as the mid. So uh, I, yeah. I kind of, I'm going to apologize for that because that's at this right. point, at this point, they're not mid. They're not that the whole conference is not mid. So, but, uh, but a specific moment that kept them on top of the conference standings, as well as keeping them well within. A, a hunt for a top seed in the NCAA tournament is Darius Brown at Utah State. Well, I think it's worth highlighting the names, Taylor, because people yes. know Utah State, but they probably didn't know who Darius Brown was. And that was an awesome shot. Uh, Fresno State got a foul up three, man. Please. I think Coach uh, Hudson said they were trying to, and they just didn't. Fresno State basketball, though, in a nutshell. My not so mid Mississippi Valley State. They get their first win of the year. The Delta Devils, baby. They beat Prairie View. Uh, Congratulations to Mississippi Valley State. Very thrilled for them. Very happy. Uh, Again, I have to reiterate, you know how difficult it must be to show up to practice every single day, get on the bus, do all the things you have to do as a D1 athlete, and just not be rewarded with wins or a win. So congratulations to those young men at Mississippi Valley State. Uh, well-deserved, well-earned, and I have to say one of my favorite, I think it's my favorite theater in locations. Like I've tweeted theater in damn near every place in America that hosts a college basketball team at the Division One level. I think my favorite is always tweeting theater in Itabena. Itabena, Mississippi, that's where Mississippi Valley State is. Hey, B.B. King is from mm-hmm. there. So we talk two chains at Alabama A&M. B.B. King with Mississippi uh, Valley State. Well done. Congratulations. It is jarring to look at the conference standings because you we know in the back of our minds how many games these teams play per year, somewhere in the 30 to 35 or 40 even range, depending on if you go to the championship or not. When you see a team have 28, 29, even 30 losses in the, in the loss column, that's a jarring thing to look at on the standings. Yeah. Imagine playing in that shit. That sucks so much. Dude, it's, I mean, it's not jarring at all to look at that many wins in, um, you know, th- that many wins, but uh, yeah, really strange to look at it when it's that many losses. I figured ball's got to bounce your way with some time. It did this last week. So again, hug for uh, Mississippi Valley State. Lane violation, Taylor, what do you got? So my lane violation is um, Joe Lenardi and his opinion on that they should expand the NCAA tournament. Oh God. And 
just not for that, uh, essentially. Uh, it's a topic of discussion, and it's not necessarily just Lenardi. It's just a topic of discussion this time every year. So I just want to kind of talk about that for a second. Is Everyone's always like, you know, there's always seems to be a, uh, a push to continue and expand and continue to expand forever. For our whole lives, this has been a topic of conversation. And I know everybody wants money, but I feel like at some point, it's not going to make you more money. I mean, I'm sure I'm, 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 I, maybe that's a naive way to, to say that, but if the tournament's like 128 teams, like there just can't be that many people that are going to go to all these games and watch all these games. Cause you're just talking about a two month long NCAA tournament with games at like 9 AM on a Tuesday. Like uh, to me, I know 128 is a lot. That's doubling the size of the tournament almost, but I just don't, see the need for expansion at this point i think we've got a per i think we've got it dialed in perfectly at this point you know there were so many years where we needed like a play-in type of situation and we've had that for a long time now and i think it works great you know we've seen teams from the play-in or from the you know the first four there uh you know go on to the final four we've also seen you know teams that clearly were undeserving of going any further in the tournament because if they would get blown out by a another 16 seed or another 11 or 12 seed, you know? So um, I think we're at a good spot right now. There's always going to be complaints. You, you could expand this thing up to 360 teams. And then the two teams would left to be like, well, if we're going to do 360, just let us in too. You know? So there's always going to be a topic of discussion as where to draw this, draw the line there. With, let's use Wisconsin as a great example, right? They are going to finish. If they're a fifth seed potentially this year, and they're as bad as they are. Do we need to? Do we need more worse teams than no. that? You know, no. right? like, you know, like, like college football. I understand four yes. and what. Like, there's not even there's more than four conf major conferences. So that was a, something that was legitimate to kind of kind of expand. Four to twelve is not that big of a deal. We're literally only adding like two weeks to the entire season. Adding more teams to the NCAA tournament is adding a lot and more injury risk you know, more fatigue, I think we'll get a worse product, the bigger this becomes. So let's leave it as it is. Perfectly stated. It, it would become watered down, but the fear that I have Taylor is because it, it has been a topic of discussion every single year for like the last decade. It seems like I'm terrified that it's actually going to come to fruition because it, it was a topic of discussion. Oh, it's going, it's going to, yeah, it will. Yeah. Man, that's going to suck, but I'll still be there like a sap. Uh, my lane violation, I'm going to go back to the ACC and make fun of them a little bit more. And that is preseason uh, predictions or preseason polls. Okay. So preseason all ACC first team, Kyle Filipowski, Armando Baycott, PJ Hall, Reese Beekman, and Norchad O'Meara. Second team, Judah Mintz, Nigel Pack, Blake Henson, Tyrese Proctor, and Quentin Post. ACC preseason player of the year, Kyle Filipowski, 35 votes, Armando Baycott, 13 votes, PJ Hall got two, Tyrese Proctor got one. Taylor, is there a name that is omitted or a name that I did not say out of all those folks? Tell me, Sue. It's RJ Davis, okay? RJ freaking Davis didn't make any of those lists in the preseason polls and the preseason voting, okay? And RJ Davis just had 42 at home against Miami. And he's been one of the best point guards in the entire freaking country. RJ Davis outscored all other Tar Heels 42 to 33 in the win over Miami. It was the first time a Tar Heel outscored the rest of his team since 
January 29th, 1983, when a certain someone scored a career-high 39 of UNC's 72 points against Georgia Tech. I'm not even going to say the name. You should know who the hell I'm talking about and who I'm comparing R.J. Davis to right now. All right, more on this. Just how good was R.J. Davis's outing? Well, here's where his scoring total ranks in North Carolina and Smith history, okay? Davis's 42 points against Miami marked the 18th time in UNC's history that a player scored at least 40 points in a game. No men's player at the school had reached the 40-point mark since Harrison Barnes in March 2011. Mm. Yeah, nice little nugget. Against the Canes, Davis scored more points than any Tar Heel since Shimon Williams, another name drop, against Georgia Tech on February 8th, 1998. And that came against in double overtime uh, for Shimon Williams, right? Davis's 42 are tied with Williams uh, for 10th most in Carolina history. Uh, I don't need to read the full list, but yeah, RJ Davis tied for 10. Uh, the likes of Tyler Hansborough at 14. Harrison Barnes is tied for 14. Kenny Smith uh, torched Clemson for 41 at 12. And some dude named Lenny Rosenbluth. I don't know who that is, but he's on that list like a bunch of times. So my lane violation, Taylor, is not including, it's a kind of like a retroactive lane violation, not including RJ Davis on any of these lists. I understand that, um, I understand that, that hindsight's 2020. I think we had Armando Baycott as ACC player of the year. But man, R.J. Davis has been an All-American level type of player this year, and he highlighted it with 42 against Miami. Not stat padding, padding highlighting either. Uh, Carolina needed all 42 of those to get the victory. R.J. Davis, man, salute to you. Dude, he's, I mean, this goes without saying, but to have a guy that can drop, to give you, that can give you 42 um, as the guy with the ball in his hands at all times, essentially, that's that's a great omen heading into the tournament. Do you think Caleb Love, real quick, do you think Caleb Love and R.J. Davis leaving each other has actually elevated both of their games? Do you think it was a beneficial, mutually beneficial for both of them? Yeah, I think any time that you get two real ball-dominant guards that essentially both have the green light at any time, um, it's not like Hubert Davis was going to tell anybody what to do. Uh, you know, So, um, <laughs> yeah, prob- probably a, a good thing. And just given... I think we can confirm that by the fact that both RJ Davis and Caleb Love are having their best seasons ever, both potential conference players of the year, which also leads me to say, how the hell is North Carolina not better, even better than they were, uh, you know, last year, if if you got potentially the ACC and the Pac-12 player of the year, were both in the backcourt, but that's a whole yeah, Hubert Davis. That's that's I'm going to leave it at that. Let's get out of here on an easy layup, Taylor. What are we supporting? So I'm going to actually support two people right now. Uh, one is uh, Peyton Sanford, uh, first triple-double in Iowa basketball history. Uh, that's pretty cool. His 26-10-10 and 10 with three blocks as well um, is certainly a notable achievement. I know this seems like a one of those cherry-pick stats, but it's the first time anybody's had that stat line um, since Dwayne Wade against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament back in the day. 25, 10, 10, and at least three blocks. One of the most underrated things about Dwayne Wade's career is how good, uh, how many blocks he had as a guard. I think he might actually have the most blocks as a guard in NBA history. Um, so really, really cool. Um, and it, it, it emphasizes how rare 
really still a, a triple double in college basketball is that's, that's the first one in Iowa history. Um, Iowa men's basketball history. Cause I think we, we, we got, we got another person uh, on the other side playing women's basketball there at Iowa that, that uh, has definitely put up some stats. Now, secondarily, I got to be a Homer real quick uh, and, and shout out Kenny Lofton who's getting, um, and I actually don't think people re- appreciate this uh, nationally. I know that you and I know this, like the back of our hands, but I'm not sure people realize this. So Kenny Lofton is being inducted into the McHale Center Basketball Ring of Honor there at the University of Arizona. Basketball, not baseball. Kenny Lofton is one of only two people at all time. The fact that there's another one is also crazy. Um, two people all time to play in a Final Four and a World Series. A man named Tim Stoddard played for the NC State Wolfpack back in the day and went to the Final Four in the 70s and then became an MLB player. And uh, went to the World Series as well. Now, Kenny Lofton was also not like just a walk on to the end of the bench in those in those late 80s Arizona teams. He was quite literally the backup point guard for Arizona basketball. And if you still watch today's today's intro video, there is a Kenny Lofton dunk in it from back in the in 1988. So shout out Kenny Lofton, one of the craziest athletes of all time i really don't feel like this uh, this is uh, appreciated enough because even stoddard was in the 70s for kenny lofton to do this into even more modern times like we all remember kenny lofton playing baseball so for him to have gone to a final four and a world series he's finally getting inducted into the McHale center ring of honor and that's something that is long overdue shout out kenny i love that and you know what else with kenny lofton one of the coolest athletes one of the coolest 90s athletes uh, of all time. You ask a lot of Guardians fans, you ask a lot of Cleveland fans who their favorite player was growing up, probably Kenny Lofton. You ask a lot of neutral baseball fans, I feel like Kenny Lofton, who was flying around in center field, diminutive dude, fast on the base paths, he was awesome. But I'm glad you brought up how good he was as a basketball player on the hardwood. Uh, Kenny Lofton, shout out to you. I hope uh, they can get the win over Oregon on Saturday and it'll be a pleasant, pleasant day at McHale. Uh, my Easy layup, Taylor. I'm going to get us out of here on the mayhem that took place in Lubbock. Okay. So first of all, Texas Tech, Texas is slowly but surely, and maybe the folks in Texas know that this is a rivalry, but I'm taking notice that it's slowly but surely becoming a premier rivalry in the Big 12. You talk about the Chris Beard stuff. You talk about the proximity. You talk about like their football programs, but also their basketball programs. Now there's a lot of animosity between Lubbock and Austin. And what I'm getting behind is that it was all relatively civil and it was kind of funny. Okay. So I always laugh Taylor when fans throw stuff on the court, which is not funny. Don't do that. But when fans do that type of stuff, uh, the head coaches have to get on the mic and essentially act like a father figure and say, if you do that one more time, we're going to get a technical and we're, I'm going to put you in timeout. Like that's what Grant McCaslin had to do. Uh, and I talk about what these coaches have to prepare for, which sucks for them that they, it's not part of their job description. Like John Shire thinking about substitution patterns for getting off the court, uh, or escape routes, uh, for court stormings. Also, like we got we got college basketball coaches now having to say to the fans, uh, please stop throwing stuff. I know you think you're supporting us, but you're being idiots. Uh, And Grant McCaslin just didn't look all that comfortable in doing it. I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny. But the events leading up to it, Brock Cunningham just bulldozes this this Texas Tech player for a loose ball up 25. 
uh, which coincidentally might be the same, like his age. Uh, and I'm like, Brock Cunningham, man, what are you doing with that time and score? I understand you're trying to be the the hard-nosed guy, the, the, the glue guy, the tough guy, which you've basically made a college career out of, but that was so silly. Uh, but what I loved is that he got ejected, right? And he throws up the, the horns up, right? I kind of like that. I know we make fun of Texas for getting all butthurt about when people do horns down. And I think that's ridiculous. Stop getting so sensitive and in your feels about it. But there's part of me that also loves Brock Cunningham, loving his university so damn much that he's like, I'm a villain here. I just got ejected. I'm throwing up the horns up uh, on my way out of here. Not to mention, we just absolutely shellacked you. So I didn't necessarily like Brock Cunningham hip checking someone. Didn't like the fans throwing stuff. But my easy layup is listening and getting behind the coaches addressing the fans. Uh, in a big game, and then repping your school, I guess. Dude, how pissed would Monty Williams have been in that situation? I mean, Monty Williams did get they. That's they, <laughs> the Pistons. They got a raw deal, man. They stink. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; they are terrible. Also, by the way, the Knicks stink. Uh, ever since everyone coronated them as the best in the East, they've been garbage the last like eight games. A heads up. But yeah, Monty Williams would be pissed. Great episode, Taylor. Had a ton of fun talking Jerome. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening, especially you, George. I'll get you out of here on this. It's probably the most airtime you're going to get uh, on the pod, unless you want to jump on and talk Loyola hoops. Uh, but thank you, as always, for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.